Heavenly Father, Yahweh, we come humbly before you today to just thank you for this gorgeous Sabbath. and It's been a beautiful day today, Father. And thank you for giving us this rest as you have rested from your works. Father, just help us draw near to your heart and help us to have the same heart that Yeshua had for you and just let us learn from him. Um, pray all these things through your son, Yeshua, high priest and king. Amen. 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 I'm going to add some to that prayer. Nope. Father, thank you for these rubes. They're such a blessing. Amen. I don't know what to do with you anymore. <laughs> oh, he's got to edit that. He's going to have to edit that. Yep. He's going to have to edit around your dad's prayer now. I'm going to add I'm going to add Father, I thank you for my son's humility and his willingness to share. Share. I pray these things through Jesus, our King and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay. And where, next, my house. Where does this turn into? Um, next time he comes to my house. What's going on? Ribs, and if not, <laughs> you started he, it. What do you mean? What's going on? <laughs> that would just be a burnt offering for you. <laughs> thank you, stupid ribs, Micah. It's gonna be a burn. I mean, offering. to be fair, you're the one that gave me the recipe, though. Yeah, you're the one that told me how to cook them. So, yeah, cook them low and slow, baby. I tried my uh, mom's method on the beef ribs; they didn't work as well. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. What's that? I'm, I'm, I tried both methods. I'm just being honest. You have to cook yeah. them really low and slow. Two fifty. Yeah, I, I steam ribs. Oh, there's no hers is different. I'm I'm saying different person's recipe. Okay, we're in Leviticus. 14. Can y'all hear that? No, we don't want to hear awesome. about your ribs. No, I'm like, seriously. Can y'all hear that? It's me licking my fingers from the ribs. No, <laughs> seriously. <Can> you... <laughs> <laughs> That's somebody at the table taking the last rib because we cooked so many and they're all gone. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that? That was the last bone to hit the plate. <laughs> because everybody really loved my ribs. <laughs> Listen here, Adam. Okay? <laughs> You're so willing to give your ribs away. Bring one to your old man. <laughs> all right. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, now we've eaten some ribs. Let's eat some of this word. Oh, God. <laughs> It'd be like honey in your mouth. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna get banned. All right. All right. <laughs> this is the Metsora portion. <laughs> Leviticus 14 it says the Lord spoke to Moses this is the law concerning the person afflicted with a skin disease on the day of his cleansing he is to be brought out or brought to the priest who will be outside the camp and examine him if the skin disease has disappeared from the afflicted person 
the priest will order that two live clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the one who is to be cleansed. Then the priest will order that one of the birds be slaughtered over fresh water in a clay pot. He is to take the live bird together with the cedarwood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop and dip them all into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. He will then sprinkle the blood seven times on the one who is to be cleansed from the skin disease. He is to be, or to pronounce him clean and release the live bird over the open countryside. The one who is to be cleansed must wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe with water. He is clean. Afterward, he may enter the camp. But he must remain outside his tent for seven days. He is to shave off all his hair again on the seventh day his head, his beard, his eyebrows, and the rest of his hair. He is to wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He is clean. On the eighth day, he must take two unblemished males or male lambs, an unblemished year-old ewe lamb, a grain offering of three quarts of fine flour mixed with olive oil, and one-third of a quart of olive oil. The priest who performs the cleansing will place the person who is to be cleansed together with these offerings before the Lord at the tent of at the entrance to the tent of meeting the priest is to take one male lamb and present it as a restitution offering along with one third quart of olive oil and he must wave them as a presentation offering before the lord he is to slaughter the male lamb at the place in the sanctuary area where the sin offering and burnt offering are slaughtered for like the sin offering the restitution offering belongs to the priest it is especially holy the priest is to take some of the blood from the restitution offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest will take some of the one-third quart of olive oil and pour it into his left palm. The priest will dip his right finger into the oil in his left palm and sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. From the oil remaining in his palm, the priest will put some on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot, on top of the blood of the restitution offering. What is left of the oil in the priest's palm, he is to put on the head of the one to be cleansed. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest must sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he will slaughter the burnt offering. The priest is to, to offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. The priest will make atonement for him, and he will be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford these, he is to take one male lamb for a restitution offering to be waived in order to make atonement for him, along with two quarts of fine flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering, one-third of a quart of olive oil, and two turtle toves or two young pigeons, whatever he can afford one to be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. On the eighth day, he is to bring these things for his cleansing to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. The priest will take the male lamb for the restitution offering and one third quart of olive oil and wave them as a presentation offering before the Lord. After he slaughters the male lamb for the restitution offering, the priest is to take some of the blood of the restitution offering and put it on the right earlobe of the one to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest will pour some of the oil into his left palm. With his right finger, the priest will sprinkle some of his oil in his left palm seven times before the Lord. The priest will also put some of the oil in his palm, on the right earlobe of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. 
on the same place as the blood of the restitution offering. What is left on the oil in the priest's palm, he is to put on the head of the one to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. He must then sacrifice one type of what he can afford, either the turtle doves or young pigeons, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering, sacrificing what he can afford together with the grain offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement before the Lord for the one to be cleansed. This is the law for someone who has a skin disease and cannot afford the cost of his cleansing. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, When you enter the land of Canaan that I am giving you as a possession, and I place a mildew contamination in a house in the land you possess, the owner of the house is to come and tell the priest, Something like mildew contamination has appeared in my house. The priest must order them to clear the house before he enters to examine the contamination so that nothing in the house becomes unclean. Afterward, the priest will come to examine the house. He will examine it, and if the contamination in the walls of the house consists of green or red indentations that appear to be beneath the surface of the wall, the priest is to go outside the house to its doorway and quarantine the house for seven days. The priest is to return on the seventh day and examine it. If the contamination has spread on the walls of the house, the priest must order that the stones with the contamination be pulled out and thrown into an unclean place outside the city. He is to have the inside of the house completely scraped, and the plaster that is scraped off must be dumped in an unclean place outside the city. Then they must take different stones to replace the former ones and take additional plaster to replaster the house. If the contamination reappears in a stone or in a house after the stones have been pulled out, and after the house has been scraped and replastered, the priest must come and examine it. If the contamination has spread in the house, it is harmful mildew. The house is unclean. It must be tore down with its stones, its beams, and its plaster, and taken outside the city to an unclean place. Whoever enters the house during any of the days the priest quarantines it will be unclean until evening. Whoever lies down in the house is to wash his clothes, and whoever eats in it is to wash his clothes. But when the priest comes and examines it, if the contamination has not spread in the house after it, has, it was replastered, he is to pronounce the house clean because the contamination has disappeared. He is to take two birds, cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop to purify the house. And he is to slaughter one of the birds over a clay pot containing fresh water. He will take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet yarn, and the live bird, dip them in blood of the slaughtered bird and the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. He will purify the house with the blood of the bird, the fresh water, the live bird, the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet yarn. Then he is to release the live bird into the open countryside outside the city. In this way, he will make atonement for the house, and it will be clean. This is the law for any skin disease or mildew, for a scaly outbreak, for mildew in clothing or on a house, and for a swelling, scab, or spot to determine when something is unclean or clean. This is the law regarding skin disease and mildew. You definitely didn't want no mold in your house. Definitely don't want to mold in your house. <laughs> yeah. You have to tear the whole thing down. Then go away. Mold and go, you yeah. know. Yep. Anybody got anything on that one? Um. <laughs> Yes, mold bad. Particular. 
clean. It's <laughs> very particular about how he wanted things cleansed in in the law of the leopard. All coming back, the coming back to the temple. Keep contamination getting places. And from his, uh, I think it was all to keep his temple from getting um, contaminated. Yes. Yep. I agree with that 100%. I mean, to me, too, again, it's just like a lot of the other um, ordinances, statutes, it's, it's a way to teach us how to live. Yep. Teach us how to be a holy set apart people. The Pharisees were trying to teach people how to wash their hands and be set apart. Anybody else got anything? Anybody got anything else? <laughs> um, that's all I got. We'll go on to 15. <clears throat> so the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When any man has a discharge from his body, he is unclean. This is the uncleanness of his discharge. Discharge whether his body secretes or secretes the discharge or retains it, he is unclean. All the days that his body secretes or retains anything because of his discharge, he is unclean. Any bed the man with the discharge lies on will be unclean, and any furniture he sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches his bed is to wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will remain unclean until evening. Whoever sits on furniture that the man with the discharge was sitting on is to wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will remain unclean until evening. Whoever touches the body of the man with the discharge is to wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will remain unclean until evening. If the man with the discharge or spits on anything or anyone who is clean, he is to wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will remain unclean until evening. Any saddle the man with the discharge rides on will be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him will be unclean until evening. And whoever carries such things is to wash his clothes and bathe with water. And he will remain unclean until evening. If the man with the discharge touches anyone without first rinsing his hands in water, the first or the person who was touched is to wash his clothes and bathe with water. And he will remain unclean until evening. Any clay pot that the man with the discharge touches must be broken, while any wooden utensil must be rinsed with water. When the man with the discharge has been cured of it, he is to count seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, and bathe his body in fresh water. He will be clean. He must take two turtle doves or two young pigeons on the eighth day, come before the Lord at the, t at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and give them to the priest. The priest is to sacrifice them. One is one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. 
In this way, the priest will make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. When a man has an omission of semen, he is to bathe himself completely with water, and he will remain unclean until evening. Any clothing or leather on which there is an omission of semen must be washed with water, and it will remain unclean until evening. If a man sleeps with a woman and has an omission of semen, both of them are to bathe with water, and they will remain unclean until evening. When a woman has a discharge and it consists of blood from her body, she will be unclean because of her menstruation for seven days. Everyone who touches her will be unclean until evening. Anything she yeah, anything she lies on during her menstruation will become unclean, and anything she sits on will become unclean. Everyone who touches her bed is to wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will remain unclean until evening. Everyone who touches any furniture she was sitting on is to wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will remain unclean until evening. If discharge is on the, on the bed or the furniture she was sitting on, when he touches it, he will become unclean until evening. If a man sleeps with her and blood from her menstruation gets on him, he will be unclean for seven days, and every bed he lies on will become unclean. When a woman has a discharge of her blood for many days, though it is not the time of her menstruation, or if she has a discharge beyond her period, she will be unclean all the days of her unclean discharge, as she is during the days of her menstruation. Any bed she lies on during the days of her discharge will be like her bed during menstrual impurity. Any furniture she sits on will be unclean as in her menstrual period. Everyone who touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be remain unclean until evening. When she is cured of her discharge, she is to count seven days, and after that she will be clean. On the eighth day, she must take two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her before the Lord because of her unclean discharge. You must keep the Israelites from their uncleanness so that they do not die with defiling my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law for someone who, or someone with a discharge, a man who has an omission of semen, becoming unclean by it, a woman who is in her menstrual period, anyone who has a discharge, whether male or female, and a man who sleeps with an unclean woman. Welcome, Janie. One thing I wanted to point out from the last chapter, by the way, was the the, the blood, which is an addition, in my opinion, uh, not addition like he added it to it, but separate for what I'm about to say. The cedarwood, hyssop, scarlet yarn is all mixed together to make soap with water. I forgot to say that last chapter. Talk about making lie. Yeah. Mash. Mm hmm. I think the I'm not sure the uh, implications of the blood I guess just because it's part of making atonement but every other ingredient that's mentioned is just they're making soap <laughs> and I wonder if As it says, you know, bathe with water. 
wash his clothes and bathes with water. So I guess just washing in water it cleanses you, I guess. I wonder if, if it has to be um, like a one-time use thing, if it has to be running water. I don't think that if you're you know, continually like like look at the bathhouses that you see in medieval times. I don't think that would count because all of that contamination is just going to stay in that bathhouse unless it's drained, you know, however many times a week. Right. Well, we are dirt. So dirt doesn't need soap to get washed. I mean, not necessarily because if salt was in their water, that creates chlorine, which is cleansing. That'd be. That's an interesting take. Well, that's where a lot of people that do the saltwater pools, they add, you know, salt to it and it creates its own chlorine and it cleans it. So the chloride. I mean, I feel pretty clean after I got ocean. I think awesome. the salt would be yeah, salt? cleansing agent. Yeah, definitely. It's like people who live in the nice skin. <laughs> you know, because salt like heals scars. You know. Yep. And skin afflictions. Yep. For sure. Also, it talks about all those discharges. Like, that could be like, you know, phlegm in the back of your throat, runny nose. Yeah. You know, it could mean anything. He was just trying to keep his people from defiling his temple. This made me think back to Genesis 31, by the way, the menstrual impurity aspect when uh, Rachel, I think it's, yeah, 31, it says, so Laban went in uh, Jacob's tent and Leah's tent and then the tents of the two female slaves, but he found nothing. Then he left Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken Laban's household idols, put them in the saddlebag of the camel, and sat on them. Laban searched the whole tent but found nothing. She said to her father, Sir, don't be angry that I cannot stand in your presence. I am having my period. <laughs> it just made me think about that. Sorry, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the end of that particular portion of it. We'll go on to the half tour. Marisha, oh, here, we'll read you. What about women sleeping in the husband's bed when they're menstruating? Men sleeping in the husband's bed? Is that what you said? Or, or women? Women. Oh, I was going to say, we don't do that here. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, technically, technically, I, I would say you're not supposed to. That's a whole other argument. People will say that there's things these days that make it possible and yada, yada, yada. I would say that the Bible stands true and it doesn't matter what the emission touches, it causes it to be clean, whether it's a female hygiene product or natural clothing, it doesn't matter. But, and this, all right, so this goes back to Ezekiel with the topic of the sin sacrifices and all of that. These things, the, the emissions of semen, the menstrual impurity, all that will still be happening in the millennial reign. It's a natural bodily function. So when it's talking about the sin sacrifices, that's where my brain immediately takes me when it mentions sin sacrifices in the millennial reign, because those things, though they, they're called sin, but it's not the action itself. It's the uncleanness that is sinful. And you can't enter the presence of the most high when you are unclean because it is a sin. You are not holy. You you need to be clean. <laughs> hey, I got these something. are things that go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I thought you was finished. I'm sorry. Finish up. I'm sorry. Well, I was gonna say that like in my opinion, um I mean I still sleep in the same bed as my wife. Um obviously she doesn't have that issue now because she's pregnant. <laughs> but I, during that time like I it's it, it it goes back to the you washing your unclean until evening. I think it's okay. I think this stuff right here is about presenting yourself before the Lord, you know, yeah. being clean. So just like in um when Moses was gonna go, he remember when he told all he said, Do not defile yourself with women. You know, for three days before the before before. twenty. So that could also mean like, hey, if your if your wife is menstruating, uh, do not sleep in the same bed with her. Yeah, that's part of it. Doesn't say that was when he was there. Were, they were to present themselves three times a year. You know, that mm -hmm. they were supposed to be clean, or if they went into if they're going to the temple. But I don't think it's wrong for a man to sleep in the in the bed with his wife as she's menstruating, you know, but unless it's before that season, is that what you're saying? Well, like if it's in that season, yeah, you want to, you want to present yourself clean. Yeah. You want to present yourself clean. That's why he said, you know, have don't defile yourself with women for three days. That could mean anything. That could mean having sexual relations. Maybe she sneezed on you with her. Maybe she got a cold. You know, you try to stay away from her. You only she get might... the rest of the Israelites sick. You know. <laughs> so you have all these other different things that it could possibly be. Because I just don't think, you know, what if she sits on every chair in the house? You'd be like, hey, man, what are you doing tonight? Well, I can't go home. <laughs> she doesn't sit on every chair. <laughs> I can't even go she in. She sat in the chair. She sat on the toilet. I can't even use the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Um, this right, this right here is the only chair you can sit in during this time period. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yes, it's your menstrual impurity chair. 
I touched everything <laughs> in the house, even the front doorknob. You can't even come in. You're going to sleep outside. <laughs> I mean, funny. I just don't think that's the way Yahweh meant it. I think it's talking about going to the temple. And there are certain things that would defile you, just yeah. like um, when Nahab and the bayou are, yeah, they, they made that strange fire. Like they were, they did something wrong. They did something wrong. And, and it was an unclean act that they did. You know, because the father wants you, he wants to present you, he wants you present. And he wants his standard of cleanliness to protect you. Yeah. So that bad things don't happen to you in his presence. Because he's going to come dwell with us. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was getting at with the, the, uh, I think you're absolutely correct. That's what I was getting with, with the, or getting to with the millennial reign aspect of it. Because at that point, you're, he's here on earth. You have the Father and the Son dwelling here on earth. The, the Holy Tabernacle, New Jerusalem, Zion is here. Right. So with you, other- you have these implements to where if you are following the law, like you said, the three appointed times, you're, we're all going to be going to New Jerusalem. And if you don't, you're going to get curses. Zechariah uh, talks about this. So, yeah, all of these things are for that specific purpose. These sin sacrifices, I don't think that it's. Yeah. It's to help us. It's exactly. It's- Everything is to help us so that we can draw nearer to him. Exactly. In his presence. So this is where I just don't think people understand. You know, they're like, well, see, you sleep with your wife when she's got her period. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're breaking the law. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you don't understand, dude. You just, you just don't understand. I think, like, even, even, you know, speaking from a, I don't know, a, a husbandly aspect, that time period, your wife's typically more emotional. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that, you know, separating yourself every single time, unless it's for like something like that, like the season, like, like you said, I like that. I think you're absolutely correct on that. Yeah. Um, if you're separating yourself, Every single time that she has her period, yeah, <laughs> you know, there'd be just divorce. Yeah, I mean, you she would. would there'd be a lot of divorce. Yeah, yeah. it's like I mean, you, you'd have to understand that you're going to present yourself to the Father, you know, the Holy yeah. One. And yeah. I mean, it's not like you're going to be like, oh yeah, it's uh, seven days, huh? Well, I'm going out for ice cream. I'll be back in a week. <laughs> I'll be back in a week. Yep. Yeah. I gotta stay at the motel down the road. Yeah, clean all the chairs up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that would mean babies, children. What if you got relatives living with you? You know, I mean that'd be kind of hard. So, I think there's just a lot deeper meaning meaning there. I agree. I absolutely agree. Well, what we got next on the docket here? I'll go ahead and read Jubilees 8, or 49, 8 through 15. Um, 
says, For it is an eternal ordinance and engraved on the heavenly tables regarding all the children of Israel that they should observe it every year on its day, once a year, throughout all their generations. And there is no limit of days for it, or for this is ordained forever. And the man who is free from uncleanness and does not come to observe it on occasion of its day, so as to bring an acceptable offering for the Lord, and to eat and to drink before the Lord on the day of the, of, the, of its festival, that man who is clean and close at hand will be cut off, because he offered not the oblation of the Lord in its appointed season. He will take the guilt upon himself. Let the children of Israel come and observe the Passover on the day of its fixed time, on the fourteenth day of the month, between the evenings, from the third part of the day to the third part of the night. For two portions of the day are given to light, and a third part of the or to the evening. That is that. Yeah, that is that which the Lord commanded you, that you should observe it between the evenings. And it is not permissible to slay it during any period of the light, but during the period bordering on the evening. And let them eat it at the same or at the time of the evening until the third part of the night. And whatever is left over of its flesh from the third part of the night and onwards, let them burn it with fire. And they shall not cook it with water, nor shall they eat it raw, but roast it on the fire. They shall eat it with diligence. Uh, its head with the inwards thereof and its feet they shall roast with fire and not break any bone thereof for of the children of Israel no bone shall be crushed for this reason the Lord commanded the children of Israel to observe the Passover day on the day of its fixed time and they shall not break a bone thereof for it is a festival day and a day commanded and there may be no passing from day to day or passing over from day to day and month to month but on the day of its festival let it be observed and do you command the children of Israel to observe the Passover throughout their generations, or throughout their days, every year, once a year, on the day of its fixed time, and it will come for a memorial, well-pleasing before the Lord, and no plague will come upon them to slay or smite in, the, in that year in which they celebrate Passover in its season in every respect according to his command. So that would be one of the festivals. That would that, be one of the festivals. That you would present yourself to be clean. Mm -hmm. That's which that's actually kind of what we talked about. I don't, were you here when we were doing the Passover discussion? Um, I don't think so. Also, that's kind of like that's one of the things that we were talking about. Was like when Paul speaks of um, you know, letting the husband and the wife not withhold themselves from each other except for a means of you know for times and seasons prayer fasting those would be the times and seasons that Paul would have been referencing because you don't want to present yourself unclean coming before the Lord right and the prayer and fasting is common sense <laughs> true that so yeah that would that would be one of the um, appointed times, and that would also be or that also states one of the curses, so to speak, where if you are clean and you don't appear before the Lord at this time to do this festival, then you'll have problems the rest of the year. Right. <laughs> like, like, uh... Yeah, we're about to read that now. Zechariah 14, 12 through 15. Okay. <laughs> it says, this will be the plague 
uh, the Lord strikes all the peoples with who have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, a great panic from the Lord uh, will be among them so that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of one will rise against the other. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected gold, silver, and clothing in great abundance. Uh, and I'll go, I'll hit, I'll, I'll go ahead and keep reading. The same plague as the previous one will strike the horses, mules, camels, donkeys, and all the animals that are in those camps. Then all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the festival of booths or Sukkot. Should any of the families of the earth not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, rain will not fall on them. And if the people of Egypt will not go up and enter, then rain will not fall on them. This will be the plague the Lord inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt and all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of booths. Right there. Says it right there. So you're going to need that rain because you're going to need to grow some crops. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we haven't watered our, gar our garden at all except for like the first day I planted it. Shouldn't have. Shouldn't have. Ah. I'm letting the fire uh, just take care of it. Let him decide what we get. Why is there an echo? All right. Let's stop. Good. Anyhow. I haven't watered mine either. Partially because I can't. I don't have a long enough water hose. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to Second Kings. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Making sure. Second Kings seven three through twenty. It says, Elisha replied, or, yeah, four men with a skin disease were at the entrance to the gate. They said to each other, why just sit here until we die? If we say, let's go into the city, we will die there because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we will also die. So now, come on, let's go to the Aramaeans camp. If they let us live, we will live. If they kill us, we will die. 
So the diseased men got up at twilight to go to the Aramaeans' camp. When they came to the camp's edge, they discovered that there was not a single man there, but the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of chariots, horses, and a great army. The Aramaeans had said to each other, The king of Israel must have hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they had gotten up and fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys. The camp was intact, and they had fled for their lives. When these men came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent to eat and drink. Then they picked up the silver, gold, and clothing and went off and hid them. They came back and entered another tent, picked things up, and hid them. Then they said to each other, We're not doing what is right. Today is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until morning light, our sin will catch up with us. Let's go tell the king's household. The diseased men went and called to the city's gatekeepers and told them, We went to the Aramean camp and no one was there. No human sounds. There was nothing but tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents were intact. The gatekeepers called out and the news was reported to the king's household. So the king got up in the night and said to his servants, Let me tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we will take them alive and go into the city. But one of his servants responded, Please let messengers take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their fate is like the entire Israelite community who will die. So let's send them and see. The messengers took two chariots with horses, and the king sent, af- sent them after the Aramean army, saying, Go and see. So they followed them as far as the Jordan. They saw that the whole way was littered with clothes, clothes and equipment. The Aramean army had taken off in their haste. Then messengers, uh, then messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the Aramean camp. It was then that six quarts of fine meal sold for a shekel and twelve quarts of barley sold for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. The king had appointed the captain his right-hand man, to be in charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gateway. He died just as the man of God had predicted when the king came to him. When the man of God said had said to the king, About this time tomorrow, twelve quarts of barley will sell for a shekel, and six quarts of fine meal will sell for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. This captain had answered the man of God, Look, even if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this really happen? Elisha had said, you will in fact see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. This is what happened to him. The people trampled him in the gateway and he died. That's why you don't question the Lord. Yeah, just like Cora. Yeah. Ten first Kings seventeen, nine through twenty four.
What'd you say? The next one's First Kings seventeen. Uh, Second Chronicles thirty. I mean, Second Chronicles. <laughs> All right. It says 13 through 37, but I don't know why it says 37 either because there's only 27 verses, but I'm just going to read it all. Let's start from the beginning. All right. uh, then Hezekiah sent word throughout all Israel and Judah, and he also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh to come to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem to observe the Passover of Yahweh, the God of Israel. For the king and his officials and the entire congregation in Jerusalem decided to observe the Passover of the Lord in the second month because they were not able to observe it at the appropriate time. Not enough of the priests had consecrated themselves and the people hadn't been gathered together in Jerusalem. The proposal pleased the king and the congregation, so they affirmed the proposal and spread the message throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan to, to come to observe the Passover of Yahweh, the God of Israel in Jerusalem for they hadn't observed it often, as prescribed. So the couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the hand of the king and his officials, and according to the king's command, saying, Israelites, return to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, so that he may return to those of you who remain, who have escaped from the grasp of the kings of Assyria. Don't be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to Yahweh, the God of, our, or of their ancestors, so that he made them an object of horror, as you yourselves see. Don't become obstinate now, like your fathers did. Give your allegiance to Yahweh, and come to his sanctuary that he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God, so that he may turn his burning anger away from you. For when you return to Yahweh, your brothers and your sons will receive mercy in the presence of their captors, and will return to this land. For Yahweh your God is gracious and merciful. He will not turn his face away from you, if you return to him. The couriers traveled from city to city in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but the inhabitants laughed at them and mocked them. But some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also, the power of God was at work in Judah to unite them to carry out the command of the king and his officials by the word of the Lord. A very large assembly of people were, was gathered in Jerusalem to observe the festival of unleavened bread in the second month. They proceeded to take away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and Levites were ashamed, and they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the Lord's temple. They stood at their prescribed posts according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites, for there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves, and the Levites were in charge of slaughtering the Passover lambs for every unclean person to consecrate the lambs to the Lord. A large number of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, were ritually unclean, yet they had eaten the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah had interceded for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement on behalf of whoever sets 
his whole heart on seeking God, Yahuwah, the God of his ancestors, even though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. So the Lord heard, heard Hezekiah and healed the people. The Israelites who were present in Jerusalem observed the festival of unleavened bread seven days with great joy. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day after day with loud instruments. Then Hezekiah encouraged all the Levites who performed skillfully before the Lord. They ate the appointed festival for seven days, sacrificing fellowship offerings and giving thanks to Yahuwah, the God of their ancestors. The whole congregation decided to observe seven more days, so they observed seven days with joy. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, contributed 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep for the congregation. Also, the officials contributed 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep for the congregation. And many priests consecrated themselves. Then the whole assembly, assembly of Judah, with the priests and the Levites, the whole assembly that came from Israel, the foreigners who came from the land of Israel, and those who were living in Judah rejoiced. There was great rejoicing in Jerusalem, for nothing like this was known since the day, days of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. Then the priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard their voice, and their prayer came into his holy dwelling place in heaven. Well, that totally destroys the theology that the ten ten northern tribes were lost, you know, and they weren't allowed to come back because you had There's several tribes in there that that um were keeping the feast. So it says this because. Yeah. Asher. So that destroys Jim Staley's. Uh, remember when he came out with that? Um, the ten northern tribes are lost; they never returned home. You know, it says right here they returned home. It says some humbled their hearts. It says, uh, "What does it say right here?" Says, nevertheless, diverse uh, uh, of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So, yeah, I like the the power of God was at work in Judah to unite them. What does that make you think of the power of God was makes me think of Messiah, Yeshua. Was at work in Judah. Yeah, he's, he's from Judah, and what does he do? He unites. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they kept the Passover the second month, which That's destroys enough. Eusebius and all them talking about. Yeah, it, it totally destroys but, it. You know. They serve the Passover two two times a year. Like I don't know why they do that. It's it's not like you know because they're openly here. You're not going to follow them. They didn't read the first part of the book. No, but that goes right there with Numbers nine nine uh, eleven. Yeah. yeah, that's the whole and, and that's that that was my whole argument during this little season or whatever. All you got to do is read because it it's not even a man saying, "Hey." Uh, this is what we're going to do since, you know, you guys are unclean. It's literally from God's mouth. 
Yeah. Moses went and spoke to the Lord. Yeah. The, thus says Yahuwah, don't uh, nullify this. Instead, you're going to keep it in the second month on the same day as prescribed. Same and then they exact went custom. <laughs> hadn't kept it seven more days. Didn't yeah, say in Chronicles, yeah. Yeah, and they kept kept other seven days with gladness. It said the whole assembly took counsel to keep other seven days. Yeah. Yeah. So they just did it for 14. That's awesome. See, let every man be a liar right there. What's that one? What's that one scripture where it says, um, somebody help me out here? Would God be true and every man a liar? Is that it? Yeah. yeah. There it is right there for Eusebius. He's a liar. Just like Ignatius is a liar for telling people Sabbath's done away with, and so is Justin Martyr. So, all these people came and said things that were done away with, and we're seeing it firsthand right here in the scripture. Plus, we have, we got evidence we just read in Zechariah talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, Feast of Booths, Sukkoth. That's going to be celebrated. And then, plus all the feast right there in um, Ezekiel 40 through 48. Undeniable. So. What you got next there, fella? Uh, now we're going to read First Kings 17, 9-24. All right. This is Eliyahu, Elijah, <clears throat> says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Get up, go to Zarephath, it belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow woman gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I am gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. Then Elisha said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The flour jar will not become empty, and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah, and her whole household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug did not run dry, according to the word of the Lord. He had spoken through Elijah. After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness became very severe until no breath remained in him. 
She said to Elijah, man of God, what do we have in common? Have you come to remind me of my guilt and to kill my son? But Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her arms, brought him up into the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, my Lord God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, please let this boy's life return to him. So the Lord listened to Elijah's voice, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upper room into the house, and gave him to his mother. Elijah said, Look, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Elijah's one of my favorite prophets. Isn't that awesome? He just asked the father to restore his life, and then boom, he did. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Just like Lazarus. Yes, sir. Now we'll read Second um, Kings 5. And this kind of, again, ties with the skin disease. Uh, yeah, we're going to read the whole thing. <laughs> Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a great man in his master's sight and highly regarded because through him the Lord had been or had given victory to Aram. The man was a brave warrior, but he had a skin disease. Arab had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would go to the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, and it read, When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God, killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Think it over, and you will see that he is only picking a fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel tore his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come up, have him come to me, and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent him a messenger who said, Go, wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself he will surely come out. Stand and call on the name of Yahweh his God, and will wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he tells you wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the command of the man of God. 
And his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. The Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him, and declared, I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, I stand before him. I will not accept it. Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. Naaman responded, If not, please let your servant be given as much soil as a, a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or a sacrifice to any other god but Yahuwah. However, in a particular matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Ramon to worship, and I, as his right-hand man, bow in the temple of Ramon. When I bow in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So he said to him, Go in peace. After Naaman had traveled a short distance from Elisha, Gehazi, the attendant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, My master has let this Aramean Naaman off lightly by not accepting him or from him what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi per pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet and asked, Is everything all right? Gehazi said, It's all right. My master has sent me to say, I have just now discovered that two young men from the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them 75 pounds of silver and two changes of clothes. But Naaman insisted, Please accept 150 pounds. He urged Gehazi and then packed 150 pounds of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes. Naaman gave them two, two of his young men who carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the gifts from them and stored them in the house. Then he dismissed the men, and they left. Gehazi came and stood by his master. Where did you go, Gehazi? Elisha had asked him. Your servant didn't go anywhere, he replied. But Elisha questioned him. Wasn't my spirit there when the man got down from the, his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to accept money and clothes, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen and male and female slaves? Therefore, Naaman's skin disease will cling to you and your descendants forever. So Gehazi went out from his presence, diseased, white as snow. That always cracks me up. I didn't go nowhere. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> All right, now we're going to go to the Brit Hadasha. Mark one thirty-five through 45. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And he was praying there. Simon and his companions went searching for him, but found him and said, everyone's looking for you. 
And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighborhood village so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. So he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with a serious skin disease came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the skin disease left him and he was healed. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news, which with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places, and they would come to him from everywhere. Hmm. With the Mos- with the testimony? With the testimony. Huh? With the testimony. Why would he do As that? testimony to them. So he healed him. But the priest is going to think he did. Ah. Uh, as a testimony to them, were they not doing it? What do you mean? <laughs> were they not doing this? Were they not following everything we just read in Leviticus? No, they weren't healing nobody. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> This is a testimony to them. Obviously, they've probably seen this man before and know who he is. They've probably declared him unclean. And now he's going to show them that now he is clean. And it's going to be a testimony to them. That's why he was telling him not to say anything to anybody. And he's sending him back to the priest. You know what I'm saying? To do the the rest of the remainder of the law of Moses. Exactly. My point is, why is he telling them to do the law of Moses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Law's not done away with. No. <laughs> Yeshua already, he already healed them. You know, he already healed them. He already did. He did what the high, high priest was supposed to do, but they couldn't. You know? Because they were corrupted. That was my point. Yeah. Luke 4. Twenty through twenty nine. This is after he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. It says <clears throat> he then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? 
Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. So all we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day. Or in Elijah's days, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow as Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had serious skin diseases, yet none of them was healed, only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. And we just read about both of those instances. We notice about both of those instances. They were not Israelites. Nope. <laughs> it's funny how uh, Yeshua can just like duck and run. <laughs> yeah, he disappeared in the crowds. He's freaking. It's like, where's he was... Waldo? Like, oh man, we lost him. <laughs> He's just in there in plain sight. <laughs> you can't see me. Uh, he, he's the type of person that you want on your basketball team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's always fascinating to me, though. You have two, um, Two very great prophets, Elisha and Elijah. Um, Elijah being one that, um, <laughs> though wrongfully, uh, the Jews await for every Passover or whatever. Uh, we know, because we believe on the words of Messiah, Elijah's already returned and it was in the in the way of John the Baptist or Yohanan the Immerser, the baptizer. Um, he was very filled with the Holy Spirit so much so that Elijah or Elisha his predecessor said you know when you die give me a double portion of your spirit yep and you have two instances two mighty instances the widow and uh, Naaman Again, both heathens, Gentiles from the nations, and he healed them. And what happened? Because he showed light to the nations, what they do? They turned to follow God. It's like Nineveh and Jonah. Which, here, this isn't a part of it, but I want to read this. Let me think of it. I can get there. Um, <laughs> Romans 1, 18. Uh, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show him gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their own hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. Doesn't Yeshua teach us to, to worship the Creator? In every single aspect. <laughs> yep. Yep. God just make him made him that spokesperson to advocate for him as he would do a no, proper. No different than what we're reading about in Leviticus. Yeah. He just had people that would properly do it for him. Yeah. Oh, first John. Oh, we're huh. saving that for last. Really? We're going to read Revelation 21, 22 through 27 real quick. <laughs> it says, um, is John getting showed holy Jerusalem? It says, I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to, or to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day its gates will never close, because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing profane will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What does it mean to walk in the light of it? I see it like this. And the city had no need for the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Because it says in um, Isaiah 2.5, it says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I see that. Let's let us walk in the in God's behavior. What do you think? I agree it, with that. It goes in down here and says, "And there shall be, in no wise, enter it, enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in, in the Lamb's book of life." So. It'd be like the same thing as um, walking with, you know, Abraham walked with God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
So. Yeah, I agree with that. I think even David did. He was writing songs. Yeah. For sure, I thought it was uh, almost one hundred three. I'm gonna read it. Maybe it's not. Anyhow. Yeah, this is a good one here. Oh, it's 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and the light to my path. Really? What about Proverbs 6.23? For the commandment is a lamp under my feet and the law is light. There's an instruction that weighs the life. I wasn't looking in Proverbs. I was looking in Psalms. Okay, on that one out. <laughs> I'm just going to go and make sure I got that one underlined real quick. What'd you say that was? Psalms what? 119.105. All right, hold on. Now we're going to read First John. All right. I love First John. Like first John as well. Just read the whole thing. <laughs> first John one five through ten. I'll read the whole thing. What was what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes with our eyes. What we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, or with his Son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Because if we say we have no sin, then 
he didn't die for our sins. Yeah. So we have to die. And then I want to go back to Romans 1 to top this off. <laughs> Romans 1? 16 and 17. I got them highlighted. For I, am, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it's God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's the end of the Torah portion. Our God, <laughs> to everyone that believes. Let me just take that one little step further. So, go ahead. Those words are pretty familiar. It says, for Christ is the goal. It says, end. The goal, yep. Well, Christ is the goal of the law for righteousness. For everyone that believeth. And it says right here, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That's saying the exact same thing you just read. Yep. And is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So And the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That is the gospel. The gospel is Christ keeping the Father's commandments. He's He showed us how to do. That. That's why it says in in Revelation, it says to the uh, here the patience of the saints who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Yeshua. Or the faith. I was about to go there. Yeah. I was about to go there, but I was going to read this first. So. Isaiah, Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the, and the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them, or there is no light in them. Right. So he can't show us how to walk out the commandments in spirit and truth, because the women, well, the Father's looking for people to worship him in spirit and truth. Yeah. And that is the end of the portion.